Okay, so the lights are down low. For those of you who are sleepers, this is going to really, really challenge you today. And, uh, you know, God, is, uh, God has a sense of humor. And uh, in his providence, uh, the message I want to preach to you this morning as we uh, begin out this new year is how to listen to a sermon. And uh, God is giving you an opportunity by uh, interrupting the electrical system in this building and creating this uh, mellow, shaded, sleepy sort of environment for you to put into practice immediately the things that we're going to talk about this morning. So how to listen to a sermon, part of which will be how not to sleep through a sermon. And I didn't include a point about how to overcome a dark room, but I guess I could do that too. But here we are. We're at the beginning of the new year, right? It's the first Sunday in January of 2015. Had a great Sunday last Sunday. Many of you were able to be here and to see our annual Stones of Remembrance uh, time. And we heard some incredible testimonies of the grace of God and the lives of his people through difficult circumstances. And uh, several people have inquired about the boulders and uh, that was a particularly good touch. If you don't remember anything else, you'll certainly remember those massive stones that were made of pumice, for those of you that were wondering. And uh, they weighed about 20 pounds apiece, uh, rather than the 200 pounds that they would have normally weighed if they'd have been made of granite or something like that. But it was a, good, uh, a very good time of testimony. If you missed it, it's available on our website. And I would highly encourage you to go and to listen to those testimonies and be encouraged by how God is working in the lives of his people. Well, we are at the beginning of uh, January, and January is a time of New Year's resolutions. Uh, we always uh, make uh, New Year's resolutions this time, right? I want to do this, and I want to do that. I'm going to lose 10 pounds, and, you know, all of that sort of thing. And uh, one resolution that, uh, that Christians often make is that in a new year, you kind of put the past behind you. You're moving into a new year, and, and you sort of resolve in your heart that, that this year you, you want to live closer to Christ. You look at the year gone by, and you see disappointments, you see failures, maybe even the certain senses of guilt hanging on you, uh, and you say, I want to do better. And uh, one, one uh, place often, it comes to the issue of the reading of the Scriptures, I even thought about uh, preaching a message to you this morning about how to read your Bible, but uh, elected not to do that, and instead have chosen this message on how to listen to a sermon. So if your uh, New Year's resolution, uh, spiritual resolution, is somewhere along the lines of, I, I want to, um, to get more out of the times of corporate worship in 2015, then this uh, sermon is for you. If your resolution is not that, you have time to repent immediately and to make it that, because this is a very, very significant time in the life of the body and each of its individual members. This is the one time every week in which this local body of Christ gathers together. And it's a hugely significant time. And, and it, we need to, to put into it and get out of it the maximum that is available to us. Let me just start you out with a question. How many sermons do you think you have listened to uh, so far in your lifetime? How many sermons? 500? 1,000? 
Maybe you're new to the Lord. Maybe, maybe 50, maybe one, maybe 5,000 sermons. A lot of them. How many can you remember? Of all the sermons you've heard, how many of them can you actually remember? I suspect the number is probably not all that large. From this uh, pulpit, uh, in the last 12 years, I've preached somewhere around 750 sermons. How many of them can you remember? No, don't answer that. (laughs) I don't know my ego could handle it. No, I, I understand. I understand. You know, for an average follower of Christ, throughout their lifetime, they will hear somewhere upwards of 3,000 sermons. That's just sort of the average. You know, some people, many more than that, um, some less. But, you know, 3,000 sermons, that's a lot. It's a lot. And it's likely that you'll remember very, very few of them, at least in any kind of particular detail. And that's understandable. And in a certain sense, it's okay. It's okay, because the way the Spirit of God works through his word doesn't require us to, to be able to remember all the you know, clever outlines and illustrations and, and the exposition, the, you know, the exegesis and exposition of the particular text and all of that. It's not necessary, because the Spirit is working constantly through his word, changing you gradually, piece by piece, chip by chip. So he's sort of like a great sculptor working on you know, this uh, sculpture where he's creating you in the image of Christ. And, it's, and it's, sometimes it's almost imperceptible. But just because we can't remember a lot of particular sermons doesn't mean that we can be careless in the way we listen to a sermon. It doesn't mean that we can take a sort of a lackadaisical approach to sermons. You know, sort of listen with half an ear or sleep halfway through it or, you know, come or not come or whatever. It's very significant, very important. Because God is very, very concerned about how his people listen. How his people listen to his word, which means to him. God speaks in these days through his word, through his word. Beloved, that's the only way he speaks is through his word. It's all over the scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. The Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Hear, Israel, listen. Listen. Or this frequent expression found in the prophets. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. 28 times. It appears there in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. How about this one? Listen to the word of the Lord. It's another message of the prophets, repeated expression over and over again. The psalmist writes in Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. Listen. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. Hear, my son. Hear, my son. Proverbs 1, verse 33, He who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. 
Or how about Jesus' expression in the Gospels? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Luke chapter 8 and verse 18, Jesus' words there, take care how you listen. He's speaking to the people of of, uh, Galilee. A few verses later in the same passage, when, uh, when his disciples say, hey, your mother and your father, or not father, your mother and your brothers and sisters and so forth, they're outside, they want, to, they want to see you. And he looks around and he says, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Who hear and do it. The admonition from the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 5, verses 11 and 12. Concerning him, that is Melchizedek, We have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. There is a rebuke here. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. There's a rebuke for his people who do not listen. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Peter says there, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Or one more for you. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith comes by hearing. By hearing. There is a very, very important connection between the God's word to his people and their reception of that word. And when he talks about hearing and listening, he's obviously talking about far more than just the you know, sound waves bouncing off the eardrum and all the rest of that. He's talking about hearing, internalizing, and acting upon the word of God. Now, one of the most important, one of the most significant ways by which God speaks to his people is through preaching. It is through preaching. Keruso in the Greek, it, it means to preach or to proclaim as a herald. To preach is to, is to proclaim the word of God as a herald. And it is the preaching of the scriptures, not men's opinions, but the scriptures, the word of God, that the spirit of God uses to both save and sanctify his people. It is the means by which God changes the sons and daughters of Adam. It is through the spirit of God. That is why throughout the history of the church, Preaching has occupied such a central role in the public worship of his people. His people come together for for many things in the body, but, but one thing that is indispensable in the gathering of the people of God corporately is the preaching of the word. It's the preaching of the word. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 
It is the word of God as it is preached that the Spirit uses, as I say, sometimes imperceptibly. In fact, I would say most times imperceptibly as he chips and chisels away at his people. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. It is the gospel. It is the very power of God. And the gospel is brought to us primarily through preaching. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13, writing to Timothy, pastoring a church in Ephesus, and saying, listen, Timothy, I'm expecting to come, but in case I'm delayed, these are things you need to know and implement in the church. Verse 4, verse, and, uh, chapter 4, rather, verse Uh, 13 he says until i come timothy give attention to the public reading of scripture to exhortation and teaching these are the things that characterize the worship of god's people second timothy chapter 4 where paul says to him here these are sort of paul's last words he is soon to lose his head literally to rome writing from a dungeon in rome shortly before his death. And he says, Timothy, verse 1, chapter 4, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Man, that is a heavy charge. I solemnly charge you in light of these things, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Preach the word. You cannot be a faithful shepherd of the people of God if you do not preach the word. It's as simple as that. Though the preaching is a very, very important part of the gathered worship of the people of God. And preaching is a a two-way event. You know that, right? It's a two-way event. And I'm going to talk to you about that this morning, basically. I want to talk to you about the two-way aspect of preaching. It's so easy in our culture, with our traditions and our upbringing and so forth, to see it as uh, a one-way event, a spectator sport, as it were, when nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. What should be our proper response to the preached word of God? Well, I think uh, Acts chapter 2 Verse 37 provides the template for us. Peter there preaching at Pentecost. The Spirit cuts those people to the quick, it says, in conviction of their sin, and they call out and say, Brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? When we hear the word preached, our response should be, What shall we do with what we've heard? There's something incumbent upon us to do with this. So here's what I want to do with you this morning. This is not going to be super deep uh, theologically. Actually, it's going to be uh, hopefully very practical. It is uh, to provide some, some, um, some help in this area. 
And essentially what I want to do is, is uh, speak with you about three essential activities. I think these are essential activities that we must engage in so that we can fully benefit from Sunday's preaching. We want to get the most out of Sunday's preaching. These are essential things that we must engage in. We don't get one out of three, two out of three, it's three for three. These are essential activities. Lance Quinn, known to some of you, pastors, uh, a church uh, here in Southern California, but he, but he says this, and I think he's got some good words. He says, listening to a sermon, really listening, as in thinking, praying, following the argument, concentrating on the meaning and its application to your life. Now that's hard work. He's right. That's hard work. It requires effort. It requires mental effort. It requires physical effort. It requires spiritual effort. It is very easy to come and coast. Very easy. To perfect the ability to sleep with one's eyes open. But beloved, we dare not do that. We dare not doze off in the presence of the Almighty. And when his word is being rightly preached, we are in the presence of the Almighty. So here they are. Essential activities. Number one. Number one. We must hear with our hearts. We must hear with our hearts. I'm going to take you over to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 4. I just want to read to you a little bit out of Mark 4. I'm not going to make too many comments on this. Certainly, you're not going to exposit this. But Mark chapter 4. We dealt with this parable, by the way, when we were in Matthew 13. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. He, that is Jesus, began to teach again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it out. And it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. 
In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown in the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and a hundredfold. Now, there are many, many things we could talk about from that, but here's what I want to sort of highlight for you. When the word of God is preached, when it is proclaimed, when it is heralded, you and I are immediately plunged into spiritual warfare. We're plunged into the very heart of spiritual conflict. Satan wants to snatch the word. He wants to snatch it away. He wants to cause it to pass from your mind before it has time to lodge in your heart and begin to take root and grow. There are many ways, many strategies by which that happens. Certainly the difficulties of life, the pleasures of life can be one means by which we become preoccupied. Our heart's affections get drawn away and the word of God does not find good soil. It's drawn away, it's snatched. We are responsible... We're responsible for the condition of the soil of our hearts. The good soil, the plowed soil, the soil ready to receive the word. As his children, we have the spirit of God dwelling within us and thus the power for our hearts to be ready to receive the implanted word. James says it this way in James chapter 1 and verse 21. Writing to believers. He says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. So there's, there is an obligation on our part, that is to put away filthiness and wickedness so that we receive the implanted word. Receive the implanted word. As part of our time of corporate worship, we provide opportunity for confession, right? Why? Why? As we sing the glories of God, we are brought into the presence of God. We we recognize God in his greatness and we feel our own shortcomings, our own guilt, our own sin, our own filthiness in the presence of the Holy One. and, And we need to confess. And we provide that time. So that we might confess. And and then we sing of the glorious redemption we have in Christ. So that we recognize that we we are pardoned and freed and ready to hear the word. To hear the word. The implanted word. So we need to hear it with our hearts. 
Now, here's some practical suggestions. Okay? This is, these are my suggestions, practical suggestions on how to prepare your heart to hear the Word of God. Number one, I'm just going to go through them really quickly. Number one, develop a daily habit of reading and meditating on the Scriptures. Develop the daily habit of reading and meditating on the Word of God. John Piper says this about it. I think it's a good statement. He says, quote, daily reading is like a spiritual appetizer. Close quote. Like a spiritual appetizer. You go out to a nice restaurant, right, and you have an appetizer. The idea of it is to, is to sort of arouse the appetite so you're ready for the main course, not to fill up on it so that you are not hungry. Reading the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God as a regular practice in your life throughout the week prepares your heart to receive the implanted Word through the preaching on Sundays. Second, second practical suggestion, read ahead. Read ahead in preparation for the Sunday sermon. Now, ordinarily, you know exactly where I'm going to be, right? I'm going to be in the book of Matthew. You could be on vacation for a very long period of time. You could be sick and infirmed for an incredibly long time, and you could come back, and you will know that we are going to be where? In, in Matthew. Some of you have been born in Matthew. <laughs> and God forbid you die in Matthew, but you know what I'm saying? We've been there a very long time. You know where I'm going to be. You know where I'm going to be. So you could read ahead. Think through what you're reading prior to Sunday morning. Think about the passage. What does it mean? Formulate some questions maybe in your mind, things that you'd like to have answered as we go through the passage together on Sunday as we preach it. Develop some questions. Just sort of interact ahead of time. Third, pray during the week for yourself and for the sermon. Take some time during the week to pray, to pray. Pray for your own heart. Pray that that your heart would be receptive to hear the word preached on Sunday. Pray for the hearts of your brothers and sisters, that their hearts would be ready and receptive to hear the word. Pray for me that my heart is ready to hear it. Pray for me that the Spirit would give me utterance, that as I preach it, it would be true. I would be faithful to the word. Fourth, confess your sin to God. Confess your sin to God. We provide that time of confession, take opportunity, confess your sin to God. Now, when you eat in a nice restaurant, uh, they will serve you between courses. You eat in a nice restaurant, you you, you get your food in courses, right? They don't just kind of like slap it all down on the table. They bring it to you in courses. And if it's a nice restaurant, between courses, they provide something called normally sorbet, to cleanse one's palate, okay, to cleanse the palate, to, to take off of your tongue and palate the taste of the prior course so that you can experience the next course to its fullest. All right, they don't do that at In-N-Out, okay? You don't, you don't get, you know, you don't cleanse the palate in In-N-Out. And I, and I just point that out to you because basically during the week, uh, uh, we consume a lot of crud. And, and it's kind of on our palate, as it were. And so, taking the time before we come together for the preaching event on Sunday to to cleanse our palate through confession and meditation on the Word and prayer makes us ready to taste and see that the Lord is good. Fifth suggestion. 
Reduce your media intake. Reduce your media intake. Why? Because an excessive exposure to media in today's culture shrinks your IQ. It saps your ability to concentrate. We live in a world of of fast images and sound bites. And then uh, you come in here on Sunday morning and you have to sit for an hour and listen to somebody talk to you. And you have to follow along. You have to you have to follow the argument. You have to think. That's hard to do when, when you're used to just sort of sitting and being entertained. So be careful how much media you consume. Six. Plan for Sunday. Plan for Sunday. Sunday begins Saturday night. Okay? If you don't get anything else out of this this morning, you walk away with that. My, my children, you know, they can repeat it in their sleep. They've heard it since they were very, very young. Sunday morning begins Saturday night. Sunday morning begins Saturday night. It begins Saturday night. It starts with getting enough rest. Going to bed early on Saturday night. Making sure that you have sufficient sleep so that on Sunday morning you're not comatose. Okay? On Saturday night, my suggestion is to, is to avoid, as best you can, visual and mental input, which will cause lingering distractions on Sunday morning. For example, if you were to watch some sort of a movie with a very intricate plot on Saturday night, it's likely on Sunday morning when you're here trying to hear the preaching of the word that running in the background is this movie plot where you're either trying to figure out how they did it or, you know, whatever it is. That's not helpful. That's not helpful. To the best of your, your ability, avoid conflict Saturday night. Avoid heavy-duty discussions between husband and wife Saturday night. Avoid arguments Saturday night. Why? Because Sunday morning you'll be playing it in your head. You'll be playing it in your head. So just tell your wife or husband, I would love to talk to you about this, but not now. Because Sunday morning begins Saturday night. Saturday night. Okay? Some other practical suggestions for you, particularly if you've got young children. Saturday night, lay out the kids' clothes. Make all the wardrobe decisions Saturday night, not Sunday morning. Just kind of lay them out. Write the offering check Saturday night instead of Sunday morning. Stock up your diaper bag Saturday night, not Sunday morning. 
All of these things are simple things, but, but they just make Sunday morning go better. Make it go better. Another one, practical, I think. Eat breakfast Sunday morning. Eat a protein-based breakfast Sunday morning. We stopped giving away free donuts some years ago, not because we're broke, but because the sugar was killing the preaching. (laughs) They were going up like this, and right about the time I stood up, it was dropping like a stone. So no sugar on Sunday morning, protein. Protein Sunday morning. A couple others, really quickly. Listen to worship music on Sunday morning. Just, just play some worship music on Sunday morning in your home. It just sort of puts you in that right spiritual frame of mind to come together with the people of God. And last, plan to arrive early so that you're not rushing around. Plan to arrive early. You can do this. Any other appointment in your life that you're told to be there early, you make it. You can be here early, too, if you want to. You got to plan for it. You got to plan for it. So be here early. I encourage you to come to Sunday school. Sunday school is a perfect way to come together with the people of God, the fellowship, to hear the word, to, to be moving in the right direction. And then when, the, when then we come in this corporate event, we're, we're, we're going. We're prepared. All right, we must hear with our hearts. Secondly, secondly, we must hear with our heads. We must hear with our hearts. We must hear with our heads. So for that, I'll take you to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, just really quickly. Paul, having been run out of Thessalonica, proceeds south. He arrives in Berea. Chapter 17, book of Acts, verse 10. Brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea from Thessalonica. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word of God with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. More noble-minded. Why? Because they were examining the scriptures to see whether these things were so. They were engaged. They were hearing the preaching of the word and they were, they were testing it against the word of God to see whether it was true. Whether it was true. Now, I spend on average somewhere between 15 and 20 hours a week in preparation to preach to you every Sunday morning. It's, uh, it's rigorous. It involves a rigorous uh, intellectual effort. It involves a rigorous spiritual effort. Wrestle with the text to, to, to understand it, to prepare it, to think through applications, illustrations, introductions, conclusions, all of, the, all of the niceties that make listening to the Word of God easier for the people of God. But that does not mean I am immune to mistakes. You need to test the word of God. You need to be like a noble Berean. As I'm preaching, you need to be following along. You need to be looking at the scriptures. You need to be determining, are these things so? Or is this guy just up here blowing opinions? 
I welcome your questions. I welcome your questions. Afterwards, uh, during the week, in advance. Hey, pastor, you know, I was reading in advance and, you know, I have a question about this. What do you think? Hang on, we'll get there. No. I welcome your questions. I welcome your concerns. I welcome your concerns. If uh, something I have said during the week, I just, you know, that Sunday strikes you as maybe not quite, you know, on track. Maybe it's a new way of thinking about it you haven't heard and you're not quite sure. It doesn't sit right and let's talk. Maybe I said it wrong. Maybe you heard it wrong. Maybe you're in error. Maybe I'm in error. But we need to talk. I also don't mind being criticized. Now, let's be careful here. Okay? <laughs> I didn't say I like it. I said I don't mind it. Because uh, the Proverbs tell me that only a fool rejects criticism. So if I'm doing something offensive, I need you to tell me. And there have been some of you, in the, by the grace of God, in my life, who have come to me after a sermon and have, have offered me a, a critique and criticism, and it has been very helpful. And I pray that I receive it well. It's my hope. But I do welcome it. Maybe not exactly when I first step out of the pulpit, you know what I'm saying? The adrenaline's still sort of running out, feeling a little tired. I mean, if that's the best time, then okay. But, you know, I'd rather have it a little bit later. Maybe after lunch or something. Anyway. Okay, here's some practical suggestions for hearing with your head. Okay? Practical suggestions to hear with your head. Here's, Here's number one. Be consistent in your church attendance. Be consistent in your church Attendance. Why? Well, because we, we, we preach expositorily, you know, verse by verse through the book of Matthew. That means that, that every sermon presupposes all prior sermons. That's all evidence that's, that's been entered into testimony and, and is valid to be called upon. If you, if you miss... It's like walking into a TV show halfway through. You know what I'm saying? Nothing more annoying, by the way, right? When you're watching a good TV show and someone walks in halfway through and they say, so, so what's going on? Who's that person? What's, you know, what's that? And you, Quiet. <laughs> Just sit down and listen. You, you'll, I'll answer it at the end, but don't listen. It, when you miss, you know, when you're sporadic, it, it, it's hard for you to stay engaged, hard for you to follow along. So be consistent. If you miss, and we all do, I mean, for a multitude of reasons, half of which are valid. If you miss, go to the website. You can get it on the website. You can get it. You can sign up for have a podcast. It can be pushed to you. You can get it on CD. You can get it on DVD. Yeah, there's like a, many different ways. So if you miss, before the, the following week, Catch up. Catch up. We've, we've done everything but stand on our head to make it available. Here's another one. Request to be put on the sermon note distribution list. Many of you are. And this started out with a little tinny list with a few people, a few Bible study leaders, and then one person heard, hey, what do you, what do you got? 
Then someone else said, what do you got? And, and I, I think the list now is like over a couple hundred people. I make my sermon notes, exactly what I take into the pulpit, available for free to anyone who wants them. Contact the church office, and on Friday, you will receive an exact copy of what I take into the pulpit. And I take pretty extensive notes into the pulpit. I take a manuscript, actually. And I do that because I'm paranoid that I'm going to just like blank out up here, and I think, well, the worst, you know, if I blank out, I can just put my head down and start reading. It worked for Jonathan Edwards, you know, so it's my safety blanket. But you can have the sermon notes, and for some of you, it's very helpful. I, I, you, I know you do. You take them, you follow along, whatever. Okay, it's just one more, one more way we're trying to help you. Here's another one, number four. Come to church expectantly. Come to church expectantly. The psalmist writes, Psalm 119, verse 18, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. There's a certain expectation. It's a great prayer to pray before you come. Five, enter into worship. Sing the songs. Some of them may not be your favorite. Some of them may be kind of new to you. You may prefer a different version. I don't know, but, but sing. The people of God sing. So sing. And then during the, the, the preaching, follow along in your Bible. Have your Bible open, follow along. Okay, so here's a tip. Memorize the, the order of books in the Bible. Memorize it. Oh, there's 66 of them. How can I possibly memorize them? It's amazing. You actually can. And if you want, uh, I, can, I can teach you a little song that will, that will enable you to remember them. And, and this song is very helpful because it's how I passed my ordination exam. When they asked me to recite the books of the Bible, I sang it. Okay? And it's okay. It's okay. So memorize the books of the Bible. Put tabs in your Bible. Whatever it takes so that you can move throughout the scriptures. We put, we put the numbers up there and we do that for those who are absolutely brand new to the scriptures. Those are the numbers of the Pew Bible. But the sooner you can get beyond that, the, the more you will get from it. Okay, follow along in your Bible. Turn to the cross-references. When I say, you know, look at this, actually turn there. Okay? Actually, even if we put it up on the screen, I recommend to you turn there. If for no other reason, that it'll help you get familiar with, to, with your Bible. You'll sort of start to know where this stuff is. Listen attentively during the time of praying. Okay? Praying is not a time for one person to talk and everybody else to, to space. It's a time for us to unite our hearts together in prayer. And it's hard work. Take notes if that's helpful to you. Not for everybody, but for some. Take notes. Six, fight off the distractions. Notice I say fight. Fight off the distractions. The average person apparently can listen two times faster than someone can speak. What that means is there is a lot of dead time in every sermon. And that is time for the mind to wander. So you have to keep the little thing under control. Right? Keep, keep that, little, that little thing under control. Turn off your cell phone. Do not text. Do not receive text notifications. If you're using an electronic Bible, turn it all off except for the Bible. 
So your stockbroker is not, you know, texting you and telling you about a great buy. Go to the bathroom before the service. Go before. Then you're not forced to get up during. For some people, you know, biologically with something going on, they've got to do that. That's fine. I understand that. But, but for the vast majority of us, go to the bathroom first. If you have crying children, take them out, please. Okay? Take them out. Take them to the cry room. There is a cry room. They get a video feed in the cry room. Okay? It's not going to bother me. So I can preach to a bomb going off. <laughs> I get in the zone. People say afterwards, did you hear something? No, I don't hear it. Or if I did, I ignored it. But, but it's disturbing to others. And, and if it's not even disturbing others, it'll be disturbing to you. If you're, the, if you're the mom or dad and your child's crying, you're going to feel antsy about that. You're going to you know, wonder what people are thinking of me or whatever. You know what? Just deal with it. Just deal with it. Okay, here's another one. Maintain eye contact with the preacher. Maintain eye contact. Now, in order to maintain eye contact, that means you need to sit close because I've got old eyes. I'm going to let you in on a tip here, okay, really quickly. Let you in on a tip. If, if you don't want me to see you, uh, sit more than six rows back. Okay, but I'm going to the optometrist on Tuesday, and then that may change. Have you ever noticed that, like, the best seats in the movie theater are, like, front and center? And the best seats in the church are back and sides. <laughs> I mean, you look at it. I mean, almost every Sunday I stand here and, you know, I'm, you know, I, like leprosy. No one wants to be near me. <laughs> Listen, there's a stripe on the floor right in front here. Okay? This is like SeaWorld. That marks out the splash zone. Hey, as long as you sit beyond the stripe, I won't get anything on you. You'll be good. <laughs> Years ago, Carol and I, uh, we attended a church in uh, Texas, big church, many thousands. First Sunday we were there, we did what all newcomers do. We sat as far away as possible, which in this case was the third balcony. And the guy, you know, he looked like this. <laughs> and afterwards I said to her, what do you, th- you think? And she said, I don't know, I was kind of distracted. I said, by what? She said, well, by the TV cameras and... Everything else, I said, yeah, me too. I said, but I think we should go again. But this time, let's sit up and put everything behind us. And that's what we did. And, and it was an amazingly different experience. If you're distracted by the people in front of you, <laughs> come on down. Hey, you know what? The Holy Spirit is stronger up here. <laughs> this is the conviction zone. So make eye contact. Give the guy a little, little help, a little feedback, a little nonverbals. Smile once in a while. All right? Let your face know that you're enjoying yourself. <laughs> Nod. Answer the rhetorical questions, at least, you know, not out loud, but, you know, stay engaged. That's what I'm, that's what I'm after. Just stay engaged. It, it helps the, the, the preacher, by the way. It helps the preacher a lot. To know just those nods, those smiles. He's always looking for feedback. Am I getting through to anybody? (laughs) We must hear with our hearts, hear with our heads. Last, we must hear with our hands. Okay, we must hear with our hands. I'll turn you to James for that. 
James chapter 1. James 1, beginning in verse 19. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Love to hear the sound of those turning pages. This you know, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, put aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and does not, and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Prove yourselves doers of the word, James says, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Delude themselves. We must not act like we're at Costco. You know Costco, right? You, you walk through Costco and you sample all the foods that they're giving away. If you time it just right, gentlemen, you can take your wife there for dinner. <laughs> a full seven-course meal. It's all there. A little of this, a little of that, a little of that. I don't buy anything. I just taste it all. I just taste it. And we, if we're not careful, we can, we can approach the word of God like that. We just sort of sample it. We just taste it. We just nibble on it. Listen, in all seriousness, when we hear the word of God, we have an obligation to respond. There is an obligation to respond to it. So here's some practical suggestions. Just closing this out. Practical suggestions to hear uh, Prepare our hands to hear the word. Prepare our hands to hear the word. Okay. The goal of preaching, which is not a secret, the goal of preaching is to move the will. It is to move the will. That's why so very often you will see when I, when I put together what's called a homiletical proposition, it's the sermon in a sentence. It will contain the words, so that. This and this and this. So that... This will happen. You will believe differently. You will act differently. You'll do something you're not doing. You'll stop something that you are doing. Whatever. Okay? Why? Because the preaching is designed to move the will. Now, that is not the end in itself. It is the means to the end, which is life transformation. Our lives will not be transformed until our will is changed. People talk about the will. Is it free? Is it not? The will is bound in sin until it is rescued by God. But the will determines the course of your life. We do what we want to do. 
We do what we want to do. The Spirit uses the preached word to change what we want and thus change who we are and what we do. Because preaching is designed to transform the life, you have a right to expect me to demonstrate a life transformed by my own preaching. Not perfect. A sinner, saved by grace, walking in the Spirit, pursuing after Christ, being transformed by the Word of God, the preached Word of God. When I am preaching, I am preaching to you and me. I get the double benefit because I've been living with it all week, and then I get to hear it again. So you have every right to expect of me a transformed life. And guess what? I have every right to expect of you a transformed life too. It's a two-way street. This preaching event is for all of us. I just happen to be the mouthpiece, but it's for all of us. Okay. So some suggestions for you. Think through, while you're listening to this sermon, think through a specific application of this sermon. I will, I will suggest applications, but, but I can't hit everybody. So I'll just, you know, as I know this congregation, I'll try to think of some that, that, that I think are appropriate. But, but I haven't exhausted it by any stretch. So you need to think through the application of the preached word each week. How does it apply to me? Not my wife, not my husband, not my children, me. You heard the joke about the, you know, the guy who's, well, forget it, I won't tell you that one. Anyway, I don't have time. What does God want me to do in response to this sermon? That's a question we need to be thinking about as the sermon is happening. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Jesus said. Secondly, as soon as possible, discuss the sermon, what it was about, with someone else. As soon as you can, talk to someone else about the sermon. You know, what did you get out of it? What did you think of it? How did it strike you? Focus on specific applications. Third, Resolve to make specific change as a result of the sermon. Small, incremental. Change. Pray and ask the Spirit forth to help you to change and then act on that. All right, illustration. If you are fighting with laziness... And, and the sermon addresses somehow the topic of laziness, at least in some way, or, or the Spirit suggests that as an application to you of a sermon on the second coming, and, and uh, laziness is the application that the Spirit suggests to you, then think about a specific way you could attract, attack the sin of laziness. Okay, here's a possibility. You could set your alarm clock earlier, put it on the other side of the room, And when it goes off, you can roll out instead of rolling over. Very specific, simple application. Pray and ask the Spirit to help you. And then tomorrow morning, set your alarm clock. Okay? That might be your application. The person next to you might have an entirely different application. A couple more and we'll finish. 
uh, review the sermon notes. If you take your own, review your own sermon notes, or you know, just somehow review the sermon. Reread the passage during the week. Just sort of lock it in. As you reread it, you can go, oh, yeah, I can kind of, uh, I remember that. Here's the outline. I can see it. And it just sort of helps lock it in. And last, if, you, if you're not part of a small group already, you might consider joining a small group. You might consider joining a small group that uses the sermon discussion questions that I write every week as, a, as the, um, the, what they spend their time talking about together as a group. I provide specific discussion questions. I write them out every week. We send them out to the group leaders, those that are using them. And uh, that's the basis of their Bible study and discussion together. So it's a way to reaffirm the sermon throughout the week. 2015, 2015 is here. It's here. And um, what a great opportunity, huh? What a great opportunity to encounter Christ this year in a significant way. I pray God would take what has been said this morning that is helpful to you and apply it to your hearts. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for your word. Please strengthen us. Lord, not to, not to just lay another ha- uh, uh, must-do on our, on our heads, but, but, Father, we desire to, to know you more, to, to be more conversant in your word, to, to be more like Christ. So we pray you would help us to make use of the means of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We're running a little late this morning, but we're going to go ahead and uh, uh, sing anyway because it's so important, I think, and then we'll take uh, the Lord's table together.